0: Everybody, Doctor Andy Woods here. I'm the pastor teacher here at Sugarland Bible Church. I'm back with my friend, fellow elder, associate pastor, uh, Doctor Jim McGowan, and this is Pastors' Point of View number 275. Today is October the 27th, 2023, and we have uh, a prophecy update for you today, and. Um, You know, ever since the war in Israel broke out, October 7th, uh, of nightmarish proportions. In fact, I was reading recently that more Jews have been killed because of this incident than any time in their history uh, other than the Holocaust. Wow. Um, And we've got American hostages and... You know, you wonder, is there any silver lining in the whole thing? And as much as this is a horrible situation that I wouldn't wish on anybody, something good has actually come out of it. The anti-Semites are coming right out of the woodwork. Yeah. And we can see now exactly who they are. Yes. The the, the Jew haters. Yes. We have anti-Semitism everywhere. And we think this is prophetically significant because uh, anti-Semitism is a sign of the last days. Amen. So here's the outline that we're going to look at today, anti-Semitism predicted. We'll see anti-Semitism on steroids mm-hmm. in the Biden administration. Yeah. And then there is a narrative that many are trying to force us into, away from Christian Zionism, into what? Mm-hmm. Something called Christian Zionism. Palestinianism, what is that, Uh, what does it teach, who's promoting this, and we're going to be getting into that subject today as well. So let's go ahead and start off just to acclimate us prophetically. Um, This is all predicted in God's word, isn't it? This anti-Semitism of the last days. What does uh, Charles Feinberg say in his Zechariah commentary? We've used this quote before, but uh, just to reorient us, what does that quote say?
1: All right, quoting... The last section of the latter part of Zechariah's prophecy deals with events in the distant future. As a portion of the prophetic scriptures, it is second to none in importance in this book or any other Old Testament book. It is indispensable to an understanding of the events of the last days for Israel, the time of the great tribulation and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. In the time of our passage... All the nations of Earth will be bitten by the virus of anti-Semitism.
0: All nations of the earth will be bitten by the virus of anti-Semitism, as was his reading of the prophet Zechariah when yes. he wrote those words back in 1950. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what prophecies was he looking at in Zechariah? No doubt he was looking at Zechariah 12 and verse three, and what does that say?
1: All right, reading as always from the New American Standard 95 update, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3, it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. And you have a parallel
0: passage over in Zechariah 14, if you can read just verse 2, that would be wonderful.
1: Zechariah 14, 2. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city.
0: So as we get closer to the end time scenario, all nations will turn against Israel. And very sadly, that's what we're watching happen, even Faithful allies of Israel are turning against Israel. Very true. And it look no further than the late great United States of America as we segue here into number two in our prophecy outline, Biden administration, anti-Semitism. And here we're going to be reading a little bit from an article. Uh, the title of the article is Anti-Israel Sentiment has permeated the Biden administration from the start. And this is from just the news, and it's written by Madeline Hubbard, October 22nd, very recent article, 2023. And so help us with that article if you could.
1: All right. Even as President Joe Biden touts his support for Israel, Many of his appointees have expressed anti-Israel and anti-Semitic sentiments even after Hamas terrorists invaded Israel and killed more than 1,400 people, including at least 31 U.S. citizens. The Zionist Organization of America National President Morton has identified dozens of current and former Biden administration officials with a history of anti-Israel, anti-Semitic comments.
0: So here Israel is attacked Mm -hmm. beginning October the 7th and people that are in key positions in the Biden administration, of course, are saying it's Israel's fault. Yes. Now, it's no doubt that they're saying things like this when you look at the history of these people. And let's start with uh, Secretary of State mm-hmm. Antony Blinken, the guy that we see on TV constantly. Right. What's going on with him?
1: For example, Secretary of State Antony Blinken was on the list in part because he opposed sanctioning Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and designating it as a foreign terrorist organization. Iran is is a known funder of terror groups targeting Israel, including Hamas and Hezbollah. After the October 7 attack against Israel, Blinken made a post calling for Israel to see, to reach a ceasefire with Hamas, <laughs> so Israel is attacked, and Israel
0: needs to be involved in a ceasefire. Yeah, meaning Israel can't protect herself exactly. or respond in any way. And he wouldn't even designate the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps of Iran as a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. That's quite what kind of individual that we're dealing with here. Yes and uh, cheer up folks it gets worse we have this individual Maher Bitar tell us about
1: him all right continuing in this article another high profile example of anti-israel sentiment in the administration comes from national security council senior intelligence director Maher Bitar as a student at Georgetown in 2006 Bitar led the students for justice in palestine and hosted a student meeting about how to demonize Israel in the minds of Christians. The Georgetown Students for Justice in Palestine chapter put out a statement blaming the brutal October 7 Hamas terrorist attack on Israel, as have many other chapters across the nation After earning his law degree at Georgetown in 2012, Bittar earned his master's from Oxford and wrote his thesis about the Nakba, that is the Arabic word for catastrophe, Referring to the founding of Israel in 1948.
0: Now, a couple things to keep in mind is this is a guy that looks at the founding of Israel as a Nakba catastrophe. Yep. Yep. Keep that language in mind when we talk about Christian Palestinianism mm-hmm. a little down the road. Uh, notice also that he's involved with organizations involving students trying to demonize Israel. Yep. In the minds of Christians. That's what Christian Palestinianism is. It's designed to shift the narrative shift the worldview, shift the theology, if you will, yes. um, away from being pro-Israel exactly. to being pro-Palestinian. So those things are going to come up in part three of our presentation today. And it continues to grow, this Biden list. These people are all in key places in the Biden administration. Yes. Tell us about Rima Dodeen, if I'm pronouncing that right.
1: All right. In another example, Biden appointing Rima Dodin, or he appointed her to serve as White House Legislative Affairs Deputy Director. She justified Palestinian suicide bombings against Jews as the, quote, last resort of a desperate people, close quote, during the second intifada in 2002 when she spoke in Lodi, California, about the conflict as a student at wait for it <laughs> berkeley according to the lodi news sentinel
0: so who are these palestinians well it's, they're just desperate people so if they launch some you know mayhem and rockets into israel and kill a bunch of americans i mean they're they're pushed to that uh, level this yeah. is this is their last resort this is how yes. they're you know trying to change the narrative and mm. this continues on with a letter Signed by Biden and more than 500 Biden campaign alumni. What's that about?
1: A 2021 letter signed by more than 500 Biden campaign alumni demanded the president to, quote, hold Israel accountable for its actions, close quote, after Israel responded to a barrage of rockets from Gaza. At least nine of the letter's signatories are now Biden administration staffers, according to an analysis from Real
0: Clear Politics. And the rest of them have gone on to prestigious positions, you know, elsewhere in the Democratic Party. Um, So they're involved in signing this letter, you know, which was basically anti-Israel. And then the Biden administration (laughs) has given a lot of money away, Brother Jim. They're giving money away, $730 (laughs) million. (laughs) To an organization called the United Nations Relief
1: and Works Agency. What is that all about? The Biden administration also has sent $730 million to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency which works exclusively (laughs) with Palestinians, according to the New York Post. Quoting, It is well known that UNRWA has a history of employing people connected to terrorist movements like Hamas, promoting anti-Semitic material in its textbooks, and allowing Hamas to use its schools to store weapons, close quote. Senator Jim Risk, uh, Republican from Idaho, wrote about the organization last year after it came to light that teachers hired by the U.N. agency called for the murder of Jews. The donations to the U.N. agency are in addition to the hundreds of millions of dollars that the Biden administration gave directly to the West Bank and Gaza even as Hamas terrorists in Gaza continue to use that funding for
0: terror. So American taxpayers' money, hard at work. I wonder if people know that their tax money via the Biden administration is going to this uh, uh, UNRWA. Well, by golly, we're going to tell them. (laughs) That's right. And uh, it continues on. It talks about the Biden administration's funding is not limited to the people in Palestine. What's going on there? The
1: Biden administration's funding isn't limited to people in Palestine by easing sanctions on Iran to allow the Islamic Republic to export oil to China. It gave Tehran more than $50 billion, according to the think tank, the Foundation for the Defense of Democracy quoting Klein again, I would say that Joe Biden is the most hostile to Israel president we've ever
0: had. That's an amazing statement by Klein, um, the most hostile president to Israel that we've ever had. Mm. You know, it's not enough to fund directly these uh, terrorist organizations, but let's, let's, let's fund the funders. <laughs> yeah. Let's fund yes. the Iran's and the China's, China's of the world, like which they are need our money. Yeah. Like they need our money who are, who are, you know, encouraging and aiding and abetting, you know, let's put it that way. Uh, terrorist activity in, uh, in Israel. And then uh, we have this other organization called care. <laughs> uh, Council on American Islamic relations. The Biden administration is in bed with that
1: organization. Help us with that. Additionally, Biden partnered with the Council on American Islamic Relations for his administration's strategic, or excuse me, strategy to counter anti-Semitism earlier this year. After the attack on Israel, CARE CEO Hussam Ailush said he is trying to fight the myth that the murders of innocent civilians were, quote, unprovoked. Some of the organization's leaders have expressed support for violence against Israel and refused to express support for Israel's right to exist, according to the Anti-Defamation League. And then
0: uh, last but not least, we have someone named Deborah Lipstadt. And what's that about?
1: He also called for, this is Klein again said, he also called for Deborah Lipstadt, Biden's special envoy for anti-Semitism, to be fired, citing how she has not condemned anti-Jewish rallies and statements across U.S. universities. Quoting again, these are barbaric reali- uh, rallies rather against Jews and Israel, Klein said.
0: Well, if there's ever an opportunity to clean house in the executive branch of government, we ought to take it at Amen. the next election cycle. What do you think about that? And I love this quote, um, not because I love the content, but I love it in terms of its accuracy. Mm. What does Klein say here about this so-called two-state solution that Biden
1: keeps talking about? Quoting, instead, we have Biden demanding a Palestinian state. Does that make sense? You think that's a safe thing for Israel to have a Palestinian state right now? It's ridiculous. It will be a terrorist state just like Gaza is. So let's put up our modern day map there of Israel.
0: And what are they talking about this two state solution? They want to take that lighter brown area called Judea and Samaria yes. and hand that over to the Palestinians. Well, how's that going to work? Yeah. Well, we already have an example of that through Gaza. Mm-hmm. That darker brown area in the southwestern portion of the map, which is the section of Israel that's causing all the trouble. Right. I mean, they already t- created a two-state solution there. Yes, so if that is. little strip there in the southwest corner of the map can be used to cause all this terrorism and trouble that we've seen since October the seventh, what in the world do you think is going to happen when they turn over that larger area uh, that they flippantly refer to as the best, uh, the West Bank? Hmm. Better said, Gaza and um, um, uh, Samaria. Uh, uh, Better said, Judea and and Samaria. So I, I really tremble for our country, Brother Jim, when I read Genesis 12 and verse 3. What does that say?
1: Genesis 12, verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed.
0: See, how do you expect the hand of God... To rest uh, by way of blessing on our nation, when this is the mindset of our leadership, you know that's that's filled with all of these, you know, anti-Israel, you know, types of people. Mm. Well, uh, cheer wow. up, folks! It gets worse because we have AOC, um, Alexandria, <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Congresswoman from New York. And, boy, she, she has credibility to speak as a former bartender, of course. Um, and she's sounding off, and she's blaming not Islam for the current mm. problems, but Christian fundamentalists. Yes. It's people like us, Brother Jim, here on Pastor's Point of View, that are oh, the really causing all of the trouble. So if you can yeah. read through that brief paragraph for us.
1: All right. While many have focused on radical Islamic fundamentalism following Hamas's terrorist attacks on Israel on October 7th, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has decided to point fingers elsewhere at Christian extremists, quoting, "...the country that is Israel today is not the Israel of the Bible." The politician known as AOC told the New York radio program Hot 97 WQHT last week, quoting again, "...it's not just Islamic, it's not just Jewish, it's also Christian." The congresswoman said on October 12th of the conflict, quoting again, In the United States of America, Christian fundamentalism and nationalism, which has also been extremely anti-Semitic, has also aligned itself with some of the most right-wing and authoritarian and inflammatory powers in the region. A spokesman for Ocasio-Cortez told JNS that her schedule was slammed And declined to comment. On October 20th, Ocasio-Cortez wrote, quoting, Release the hostages, protect the innocent, de-escalate, cease fire now, close quote. Similar words were used the day before as a part of a protest in the rotunda of the US Capitol building, which led to the arrest of three hundred far left activists, quoting, What angers me about the GOP's attempt to turn the United States into a far-right Christian theocracy is how dishonest they are about it, uh, she, she wrote in 2019, quoting again, at least be forthright about your desire to subvert and dismantle our democracy into a creepy theological order led by a mad king.
0: Okay. Now we could react quite a bit to this, but just a couple of things. Notice this quote is very important. The country that is Israel today is not the Israel of the Bible says it all. Now keep that in mind because we're going to return to that. When we get to the Christian-Palestinian narrative, in fact, one of the people in the Bittar, was that his name? And the Biden administration was involved with groups trying to change the way Christians think about Israel. That's where that statement comes from, ultimately. And then, of course, the problem isn't Islam. Um, (laughs) The problem is Christian fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. So we need to shift the way they think about the Bible. Yes, And that's what this Christian-Palestinian narrative is about that we'll introduce in a moment. And then she's again calling for, like these others, a ceasefire. It's like you're attacked, and then someone says ceasefire, yeah. meaning you can't respond, you exactly. can't retaliate, you can't contain evil. And so that's what's meant by this term, ceasefire. It's a decidedly, in this context, one-sided phrase designed to be against the Jewish nation. And so what these people are all about is changing the way Christians think about Israel because we're largely viewed as standing in the way of their agenda.
1: Absolutely right, yes.
0: So that becomes a very nice transition into our next section. Are they going to change the way Christians think? Well, they're going to try to change our theology. They're going to try to change our narrative through something called Christian Palestinianism. Now, my friend, Dr. Paul Wilkinson, in his book, For Zion's Sake, uh, explains what Christian Palestinianism is, and so... Can you read Paul Wilkinson's statement?
1: Yes, and folks, please pay attention to this and get a copy of it if you <laughs> yeah. can. I'm quoting now Paul Wilkinson. Christian Palestinianism is an inverted mirror image of Christian Zionism. All the basic elements of Christian Zionist eschatology are reversed huh. so that the Bible is seen to be Christian, not Jewish. The land of the Bible is Palestine, not Israel. The Son of God is a Palestinian, not a Jew. The Holocaust is resented, not remembered. 1948 is a catastrophe, not a miracle. The Jewish people are illegal occupiers, not rightful owners. And biblical prophecy is a moral manifesto and not a signpost to the second coming. Despite enlisting support, From the theological community and seeking validation through academia, the overriding thrust of Christian Palestinianism is political, not biblical.
0: Now, that's a tremendous statement that he just gave because it shows you the narrative battle that we're being pushed into. Mm -hmm. I took the liberty of taking Paul Wilkinson's words there and organizing them in the form of a chart. Look at this chart here because they want to shift you from the middle column to the, the far right column. Yes. Let's compare the two. The Bible. Christian Zionists like us believe that the Bible is basically a Jewish document. Uh, God said to Israel is given the oracles of God. Exactly. Exactly. The Christian-Palestinianist wants you to believe that the Bible is not basically Jewish in nature or Hebraic in nature, but it's Christian in nature, meaning they want to take some distorted verses in the New Testament and use it to write out anything that the Old Testament may say. Exactly. The land... Uh, Christian Zionists would call the land the land of Israel. Mm. That's the way it's described in Matthew 19, Matthew 2 rather, 19 through 21. Uh, The Bible never uses the word Palestine ever. The Christian's Palestinianist, on the other hand, wants you to refer to that land as Palestine. Jesus, as the Christian Zionist believes it, was Jewish, Romans 9 and verse 5. Just read the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. Yeah, His genealogy dope. is linked yeah. to David and Abraham. Um, these folks want you to believe that Jesus was a Palestinian. Mm. Now, the Holocaust, the Christian Zionist says the Holocaust should be remembered. Yes. The Christian Palestinianist says the Holocaust should be resented. Because in their minds, the Holocaust is what gave the world sympathy towards Israel, allowing them to return to their ancient homeland. So these people are either marginalizing, denying, downplaying the role of the Holocaust. May the 14th, 1948, we as Christian Zionists look at it as a miracle. It was a miracle on the Mediterranean the Christian-Palestinianist does not see it as a miracle. They see it as a disaster, a catastrophe. In fact, in the Biden administration, we saw the academic writings yes. of one individual who called it Nakba. Yes. Uh, and he's the one that's in charge of trying to change the way Christians think about this issue. And so you can see how relevant this data is. Yes. The, the Jewish people in the land, we look at them as the rightful Owners of the land. Yes, absolutely. Uh, By San Remo, uh, 1947 United Nations partition, and more important than that, what God gave them, going all the way back to Genesis 15. That's right. The Christian Palestinianists want you to think that they are illegal occupiers. The Christian Zionists, their view of Bible prophecy is we're looking at all of these things as signposts for the second coming. The Christian-Palestinianist, by contrast, is looking at all of these things to accomplish some kind of political agenda. Yes. And in this case, the political agenda is to delegitimize the modern state of Israel and replace it with something else. Uh, The Christian-Zionist looks at the general thrust of these things as uh, biblical. The Christian-Palestinianist looks at the general thrust of these things as accomplishing sort of a a leftist uh, political agenda. So the name of the game is to move us from the middle column to the far right column. Yeah, and right. Uh, I hate to say it, but they're very effective at what they're doing. Sadly. You know, and we're going to try to expose some of it uh, today. Notice this picture of Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, they want you to think Jesus is a, is a Palestinian. That's not my Jesus. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I've been to Palestine and that, uh, excuse me, Bethlehem. That is uh, an area, uh, I think, because of the Oslo Accords, controlled by the Palestinians. And when you're coming out of that area, they have a big wall, and it's very conspicuous where all of the travelers can see it. And it says, Welcome to Bethlehem, the birth of the Savior, uh, Jesus the Palestinian, oh, is what my it goodness. says. And in fact, we were in a, as people know, we just got back from a tour and part of our tour went into Egypt and we had a tour guide trying to tell us from Egypt that uh, Mary wore a hijab. Oh, and so what they're doing is they're trying to Palestinianize, they're trying to sort of Islamicize the biblical story, which knows nothing about these things. Jesus yeah. was not a, a Palestinian. The term didn't even exist when Jesus was walking on the earth. He was exactly. Jewish. Born in the land of Israel. So, with all of that being said, I want to shift people to um, an article. The title of this particular article is The Palestinian People. Victims of Israeli genocide, media propaganda, human heartlessness, and evangelical hypocrisy. Wow. This is clearly the Christian Palestinian point of view. Yes, it, is. it demonstrates this article a tremendous antagonism towards Christian Zionism. And this was written by pastor, mm. so he's claiming a place of spiritual authority, a spiritual yeah. mantle. Pastor Chuck Baldwin, October the 19th, 2023, and his writings are very, very deceptive because as a Christian conservative, this man is patriotic in many of the things he says. So he's pro-borders, he's pro-Second Amendment, he's uh, pro-free market until he quotes communists, and we'll expose that in just a minute. Mm, and yeah. so a lot of people think that this guy is right on. He's pro-life, and he is right on on a lot of things. But right. this guy is um, a, I don't know what exactly to call him, a mouthpiece, dare I say a useful idiot for mm. the Christian uh, Palestinian cause. Now, you mm. you looked up something about uh, Chuck Baldwin mm. I did. Um, and that's, I think, on page uh, 12 of our notes here. What, what Tell us about him.
1: And, and I'm just adding this in here, folks, because I want to give you a background before we read the article where it's coming from. Uh, this came off of Wikipedia, and it says, Pastor Chuck Baldwin identifies as an anti-Zionist, believing that Zionism is the main threat to the U.S. He writes that Zionists control the media the mainstream Christian religion, and the U.S. government, and that Zionism is responsible for the ills of U.S. society and culture.
0: Now, when you read that, I hope people have in their mind a book that we talked about last time that we don't have a slide for today today. But it's called the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, published yes. in 1903, which is basically a piece of anti-Semitic garbage. Yes. It's some, many believe largely plagiarized, but it's a it's a very popular, unfortunately, uh, uh, since it's been published, uh, piece of literature, uh, if I can call it that. Okay. I, I would choose actually, I, mm-hmm. if I had my way, I'd choose another. Uh, descriptive, but I won't do that because this is family. <laughs> well, this is family viewing, so I'll mm-hmm. restrain myself. But it basically is the Rothschilds, and it's blaming the Jews for all of the problems in the world. Right. It, you know, you, you, you listen or you read uh, someone like Chuck Baldwin on this issue, and he's obviously, whether he knows it or not, being influenced by that kind of a book. Right. And so consequently, uh, I wanted to go through his recent blog piece, Dated October the 19th, 2023, because this describes very well the narrative shift away from Christian Zionism, support for the Jewish people, a belief that the Jews are in the land legally, and they're there because there God put them there, and God has a future for them. He wants to move us away from that, and he wants to move us into this Christian-Palestinian mindset. Uh, of course, his article is too long for us to read every single Point of it, but I would encourage you to read what he says, so yes. you can see that we're not misrepresenting him. But we have this divided into a few parts here, and the first thing he talks about is this man. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the name right. Ilan uh, Poppe, is that how you say it? Sounds good. Something to me. like that. And he's promoting this book written by this man, trying to shift the narrative, pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel. And so, what does he say here?
1: All right, we're quoting Pastor Chuck here. The very best. Book describing the horrors of Israel's violent massacres, acts of genocide, and sheer terror inflicted upon the Palestinian people over the past 75 years was written by an Israeli historian named Ilan Pape. Uh, His book is called The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. He goes on to say, I'll say this straight out. If you have not read this book, you have no clue as to the truth of what has happened and continues to happen in Palestine. Yeah, that's good right there. Um,
0: basically, if you haven't read this book, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Now, <laughs> just
1: shut up, sit up, and pay attention.
0: That's right. And now, the problem is when you go to Wikipedia. And I agree that Wikipedia is not always the best source of information. Sure. But you just do a cursory reading of this man, um, how do you say that? Ilan Pape. Yeah. Um, here's what you read. In 1999, Pape mm. ran in the Knesset elections in Israel yeah. as the seventh on the Communist Party. Oops, what? <laughs> Communist Party-led Hadash list. So what Patriot supposedly Baldwin is promoting is a book on this topic written by a Marxist. That's exactly right. And gee, that's funny. He sure didn't bring that up in his uh, his blog piece. No, he didn't. So let's go on and let's pick it up right here with since war erupted. All right.
1: Since war erupted, now again, we're, we're quoting here the, uh, the pastor, uh, Ch- uh, whatever his name is. Uh, Ch- Baldwin. Baldwin, <laughs> Baldwin. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, since wa- war erupted between Hamas and the Israeli military, Poppy wrote an appeal to his fellow Israelis entitled, My Israeli Friends, This Is Why I Support Palestinians. And now we're, I guess we're quoting him here. Yeah,
0: And before you, you go on there, notice this expression, since war erupted. Well, that's, that's a convenient expression that, mm-hmm. that, that certainly uh, wouldn't put the blame on anybody. War just kind of broke out over there. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, folks. The last time I checked, Israel was attacked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, babies were beheaded. Women were so savagely raped by Hamas that their pelvises were broken. Um, you know, uh, the last time I checked, um, Israelis and Americans were taken hostage. Yeah. And they just kind of presented as, you know, oh, since war erupted, you know. Just make, happened. Just kind of happened. It's Kind of spontaneous type of thing. Um, here's a little expression that has always stuck mm-hmm. with me, and I hope people will take this to heart. And if you just put this little expression to memory, you won't be confused by propaganda like this. If the Arabs put down their weapons today, Mm -hmm. there would be no more war. Interesting. Conversely, if the Israelis put down their weapons today, there would be no more Israel. Exactly. Now, keep that in mind when you hear these sort of moral equivalence type arguments that, you know, both sides need to show restraint. Mm. Uh, Would you mind picking it up there with it is challenging?
1: It is challenging to maintain one's moral compass when the society you belong to, leaders and media alike, takes the moral high ground and expects you to share with them the same righteous fury with which they reacted to the events of last Saturday, October 7. There is only one way to resist the temptation to join in, if you understood, at one point in your life, even as a Jewish citizen of Israel the settler colonial nature of Zionism and were horrified by its policies against the indigenous people of Palestine. So there's
0: the narrative shift. Uh, This uh, Marxist writer Mm -hmm. is basically saying that the Gaza so-called Palestinians were justified in what they did because we all know Israel stole the land from an indigenous people group. Now, that is just factually wrong. Um, we've given already the quote from Mark Twain, but let's uh, reread that. This was uh, written in 1869 after Mark Twain
1: visited that part of the world in 1867. Mm -hmm. And that's significant because there was no state of Israel at this (laughs) point, correct? All right, quoting Mark Twain, "...a desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds." a silent, mournful expanse. A desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life in action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. There was hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country.
0: Question, where was this indigenous people group? Um, that Israel uprooted in 1948. Where where was this Palestinian people group thriving in the land of Israel from time immemorial? I mean, the Mark Twain quote is sort of um, an inconvenient fact, which defeats their whole Christian-Palestinian narrative. And last time we were together, we gave you this quote from Richard Booker, from his book, Christian Jews in Israel, summarizing why the whole concept of Palestine and the Palestinians is a myth.
1: Yeah, and I think everybody ought to copy this and put it on the refrigerator. Amen. Here's what he says. Please tell me when in history was there ever a distinct people called Palestinians? Who were they? And when did they rule? What and who did they rule over? What was the name of their country? And what was the capital of their country? What were the boundaries of their country? Who were their presidents and prime ministers? What language did they speak? What literature did they leave behind? What was their currency? What historical records do we have of a Palestinian civilization? Where is the archaeological evidence of their existence or any other information do we have about an historical Palestinian people? The truth is, there have never been a distinct people called Palestinians. There has never been a sovereign land called Palestine. Jerusalem has never in history been the capital of any Arab or Palestinian state. There is no Palestinian language or culture because there is no Palestinian people. It is a myth created after the Jews liberated Jerusalem in 1967.
0: See, we've got to come up with something to shift the narrative here. And we're just going to try to convince the world that Israel in 1948 stole the land from somebody else. Let's come up with this name Palestinians, you know, Brother Jim, I just got back from this tour in the Middle Eastern areas. We went to Egypt. And when you're in Egypt, they can show you that that was like a real civilization. That's true. They can, they can show you the pyramids. They yep. could talk about this dynasty and that dynasty and this pharaoh and that pharaoh, uh, all the way back to um, essentially the time of Abraham. That's right. The The, the Palestinians, uh, so-called Palestinians, can't show you anything like that. No. They can't show you any archaeology. They can't show any culture. They can't show you any currency. They can't show you, show you any list of leaders. And um, we're just sort of— point by point, reacting to some of the things Chuck Baldwin is saying. Uh, Let's go here to uh, page seven and pick it up with uh, the picture.
1: The picture is that of a colonized people fighting for survival at a time when its oppressors had elected a government which is hell-bent on accelerating the destruction, in fact, the elimination of the Palestinian people, or even their very claim to peoplehood.
0: So they keep talking about the Palestinian people. Um, who are these Palestinian people exactly? Well, basically, they've developed this narrative around people, uh, squatters, <laughs> that, that were right. in the land of Israel pre-1948. When Israel legally, um, we'll talk about Israel's legal right in a minute, received the legal right to return to that land, yep. as Israel typically does, warn those people to get out because we're going to legally take, take this land. And um, what the Arab culture did is they took those displaced people and they would not let them assimilate into the Arabic countries. That's right. Now, and so they kept them in this state of confinement and they kept them intentionally in this state of poverty. Why? Because they want to use them as political pawns. Exactly. And they want to point to them and say, look at these oppressed people, um, the Palestinians, when in reality, their poverty and their oppression was caused by the Arabic countries' unwillingness to let them assimilate for. Political purposes. And that continues to be true. (laughs) And so that's where this whole narrative uh, of Israel stole the land from somebody else. That's where the whole thing revolves around. Let's pick it up here with
1: even literal Zionists. Even literal Zionists with a modicum of decency read this act as a total absolution of all the crimes Israelis have committed against the Palestinian people since 1948. And therefore, as a carte blanche, to continue with the genocide that Israel is now perpetrating against the people of Gaza. So it's
0: Israel involved in genocide they since 1940. Flipped it. flipped it, yeah. Israel is involved in genocide, which is not true. The Arabic population has increased in the land of Israel since 1948, not decreased Very odd uh, occurrence for a genocidal power. Yeah, you're right. All right, Can can you pick it up there with these very
1: people also know? These very people also know about the horrific reality Israel has created in the Gaza Strip when it sealed the region, imposing a hermetic siege starting in 2007, accompanied by the rest, uh, relentless rather, killing of children in the occupied West Bank.
0: Now, notice this expression, occupied West Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, let's kind of take this word for word, word by word here. Occupied. Um You'll notice on the screen that I have two sources, and we've cited them before. The first is a book by Joan Peters called From Time Immemorial. Mm-hmm. She was liberal, and she went to Israel to disprove Israel's claim to the land, because we all know the Palestinians had been there from time immemorial. Oh, yes. And when she actually started to sift through the data, she... she um, she was completely flipped on the issue. She went from being you know a Palestinian to a Zionist, and she documents um, her sources in this particular book from time immemorial. Uh, the other gentleman there to the right is Canadian lawyer Jacques Goutier an international lawyer who was involved in a PhD dissertation at the University of Geneva. He had hostile readers on his dissertation. So he had to dot every I, cross every T. And he, over the 20-year process uh, of writing a dissertation, defending a dissertation, uh, created a work that's unassailable Mm -hmm. academically. You can find his lectures online. You can find his book online. You can find his dissertation online. And what he concludes is you can think whatever you want about the nation of Israel, but you can't say she's doing anything illegal. Right. And that's what this uh, expression that Baldwin is using conjures up. Yes. Occupied. Israel must be doing something illegal. Now, let's also take his expression here, the West Bank. Mm -hmm. What is he talking about? He's talking about, as you can look at the map here, that um, sort of lighter blue area uh, called the West Bank. And um, this, of course, is a politically loaded term because, as you can see from the map, and I'm hoping we can get the map up there pretty quick at some point, but as you can see from the map, the uh, West Bank is not to the west of the nation of Israel. No, It's actually to the west of Jordan. Mm. So yes. when you use that expression, West Bank, you know, essentially what's happening is you're using a um, politically loaded term from the Jordanian point of view. Uh, Beyond that, as you advance the slides, you see that the Bible never refers to the West Bank as the West Bank. It only uses the expression Judea and Samaria. So when you use the expression West Bank, not only are you using an unbiblical term, you're using a politically loaded term. What did Jesus
1: say in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? Acts one eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Yeah, Jesus said you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem
0: and the West Bank and to the remotest parts of the earth. I mean, the Bible never uses the expression West Bank. So... There's two words we need to really think through whether we're going to use them at all or if we do use them in what context. The word Palestinian, mm-hmm. which is a non-biblical word, yeah. and the words uh, West Bank. Uh, Baldwin goes on here on page 8, and he says the big question.
1: Yes, and we're actually quoting pape here, and it's the big question, however, is this. Will you, my Israeli friends be able to clearly see the same big picture as well despite years of indoctrination and social engineering. But there is an alternative. In fact, there has always been one, a de-Zionized, liberated, and democratic Palestine. Notice this saying, from the river to the sea, A Palestine that will welcome back the refugees and build a society that does not discriminate on the basis of culture, religion, or ethnicity. So people don't think
0: according to Christian Palestinian terms within the nation of Israel and within the United States for that matter because of years of indoctrination. Well, let's talk for a minute, (laughs) Brother Jim, about years of indoctrination. This Mm. comes from Yoram Ettinger, an Israeli ambassador, it comes from his uh, newsletter, and he talks about the real uh, indoctrination happening in the Middle East. And it's not the Israelis that are indoctrinating people. That's a what does he say here?
1: Quoting uh, Mr. Ettinger Iranian school textbooks, such as the Quran and Life for grade 12, prepare Iranian children for the Ayatollah's sublime goal the apocalyptic, horrifying, millenarian, military battle against the USA and other arrogant oppressors of the world, which are ostensibly led by excuse me, idolatrous devils, while the Savior, the infallible, immortal, divinely ordained, and eventual global leader, the Mahdi, has not surfaced yet, Iranian children are taught that the battle is already raging throughout the world, awaiting their sacrifice. School textbooks of Western democracies are the most authentic reflection of people's values and worldview school textbooks of tyrannies are the most authentic reflection of the nature and mission of the of their regime regimes Iranian school textbooks reflect the strategy and tactics of the ayatollahs much more authentically than speeches interviews diplomatic statements and conversations conducted by president Rouhani and foreign minister Zarif
0: So you really want to understand where a country is and what they believe. Look at what they're teaching their own children through compulsory education. Uh, You want to talk about indoctrination? Let's go to Iran and talk about it. Don't talk about Israeli indoctrination unless you're willing to be intellectually honest enough to understand that the true indoctrination is actually coming from Islamic countries on this issue. Amen. Um, let's uh, go ahead and pick it up. In fact, I think you already read this. It says, but there is an alternative. So this explains what they want. Yeah. In fact, there has always been one, a de-Zionized liberated and democratic now that to me is laughable it because is. israel is the only semblance of a democracy in the region right. but a liberated and democratic palestine from the river to the sea let's look at our map again what river are they talking about the river is the jordan yes in the uh, uh, east the sea is the mediterranean in the west mm-hmm. And they're not even arguing for a two-state solution here. I don't see that. (laughs) They're not even saying uh, we want Judea and Samaria or what they call the West Bank. What they're saying is we want everything in between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan. Well, my goodness, Brother Jim, that's the whole (laughs) enchilada of Israel, isn't it? (laughs) It sure is. Or to change the metaphor a little bit, you know, the whole... uh, the whole shawarma, I guess we can put it that way. So it's amazing how bold these people are in the sense that their goal is not just a two-state solution. It is to completely and totally, 100% eradicate Jewish presence in that land and the existing Jewish state. Uh, this is what this Christian Palestinianism is is forcing us towards. Um, he goes on here, and would you mind uh, picking up with a Palestine Uh, Yeah, right here, a Palestine that will welcome... Oh, yes, a
1: Palestine that will welcome back the refugees and build a society that does not discriminate on the basis of culture, religion, or ethnicity. So just give us our way, give us
0: our new state, and we won't discriminate. Implying that the nation of Israel is discriminatory. Right, right. The nation of Israel is not discriminatory um, any more than she is genocidal. Correct. And the reason I know that is you have non-Israelis serving at the highest levels of the Israeli government That's in right. the Knesset right. and also in the Supreme Court. Uh, basically, all you have to do is acknowledge that Israel has a right to exist. Yep. Um, and you happen to be Arabic. Um, go ahead and, and, and serve at the highest levels of government. That does not sound like a discriminatory not nation. No Beyond that, the Israelis a few years back were involved in taking Ethiopian Jews under persecution. That's true. Now, these are people, Brother Jim, whose skin color um, is as black as skin color can be black. That's true. And yet here are the Israelis rescuing these blackest of the black people from um, Ethiopia and flying them back to uh, their homeland, ancient homeland, uh, the land of Israel. In fact, they actually tore out the seats of an entire plane, Mm -hmm. you know, to sort of fit them all in. I remember that. I mean, these are all things people need to keep in mind when they hear this Christian-Palestinian rhetoric that, you know, the nation of Israel is somehow, you know, discriminatory. And uh, let's continue on, if we could. Uh, would you mind reading uh, right here where Baldwin finally quits quoting the Marxists? <laughs> yes, and finally. We finally get
1: a window into his thoughts on the matter. All right. So Pastor Baldwin picks it up, and he says, Building on Papé's open letter, the Israeli military has murdered more than 5 million Palestinians since 1948. Five million this is a Holocaust, a Holocaust where Israel is the oppressor, not the victim. It is the Holocaust almost no one dares to acknowledge, just the opposite. So what does he say here? And here's the words that jump right off the page oh, to me. Yes.
0: Israel is the oppressor unbelievable, and not the victim. Yeah. Um, let me read to you from the very end of his article. He says, so... Who is going to apologize to the Palestinian people on behalf of all of the bewitched Christian Zionists? Mm. That would be us, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Whose hands and hearts drip with Palestinian blood. How can 70 years of Israeli ethnic cleansing, genocide, apartheid, and Holocaust facilitate and fond over by Christian Zionists in America ever be reconciled. So wow. it's a flip of the narrative. Israel wow. is yes. not the victim. Israel is the oppressor. Yeah. Can we put up uh, this map here? Uh, this is a map of Middle Eastern countries, and you'll notice the green area there. Mm-hmm. Those are Islamic theocracies. Yes, sir. That, by the way, whose very charters, threatened to drive Israel into the Mediterranean Sea. That's right. One of them is Iran, and they say death to the little Satan, mm-hmm. Israel, death to the great Satan, USA, yes. um, routinely. And that little tiny red dot is Israel. I can't hardly really see it. <laughs> you have to have your eyes checked to make yeah. sure you can even see it. And these Christian Palestinianists, these Chuck Baldwins of the world, are basically saying, well, Israel needs to give up more territory. Yeah. And we'd have more peace in that region. Uh, here's a a chart that I referred to um, last time. It's called the Transforming David into Goliath strategy. It just compares Israel to her neighbors. Yeah, number of nations. Surrounding Israel, 21. Israel is one. Size of her neighbors, they're 640 times Israel's size. Israel is one nineteenth the size of California, about the size of New Jersey. Israel's neighbors consists of 250 million people worldwide, 1.4 billion Muslims worldwide, in contrast to a meager 7 million Jews living yeah. in the land of Israel. The type of governments of these surrounding neighbors is dictatorships. Israel is the only government that resembles a democracy or a Republican form of government in the region. Uh, These neighbors have most of the world's oil supply. Israel, by contrast, is sitting upon some potential oil discoveries. Israel has routinely expressed a desire to live in peace with her neighbors, but that has not been reciprocated at all. Other than from Egypt and Jordan yeah. who have entered into peace treaties with Israel. Israel's neighbors are dominated by a book called the Quran which commands worldwide submission. Yes. I hope people understand that about Islam. It's demanding worldwide conquest. It's a world conquest ideology. Yeah. By contrast, Israel is dominated by the Torah which promises her a very small allotment of land by way of comparison uh, on the coast of the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And keep that in mind when the Chuck Baldwins of the world tell you that Israel is the oppressor. Um, Flipping forward a couple of pages, would you mind going over to page 12 and reading this part here where he says, never mind, where is it? Uh, It's right here. It says, never mind, I'm on page 10, excuse me. Never mind that there are untold thousands of Jews living in Palestine, Syria, Mm -hmm. Iran, and every other country. And so here he's trying to make the case that, boy, if Israel roots out terror in Gaza, (laughs) she's going to kill a bunch of innocent people. Yeah. Well, here's the deal on that. When Israel roots out terror within its own borders, it sends leaflets to hospitals or innocent exactly. parties that might be in harm's way yeah. telling them to get out of harm's yeah. way.
1: Exactly.
0: Compare that to the Muslims and the Palestinians and the Arabs that, that intentionally hide behind the skirts of women. And hide behind hospitals and children yes, they because they believe that Israel won't knock down the hospital. Yeah. So uh, there's a completely different mindset between these two groups in terms of warfare. Yes. Israel is highly civilized in how it does warfare, yes. not these groups uh, like Hamas. What does he say here concerning love?
1: Is this here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, then those same Christians will go to church on Sunday and preach about the love of Jesus and raise their hands and bounce up and down in celebration of the love of God. Then they shed tears when someone gives an appeal to send missionaries to a lost world. Anyone see just a little bit of duplicity here?
0: And what he's saying here is how can you as a Christian who claims to turn the other cheek... Support the nation of Israel as they root out terror within its borders. Well, he needs, I would think, kind of a Bible study on context. Um, When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he was dealing with, and really when you study what Jesus was saying, um, he was dealing with not assaults, he was dealing with insults. Exactly. And he was dealing with interpersonal relationships between people. Right. You can't bring into the Sermon on the Mount international relations dealing with government. That's a completely different subject matter. Right. The reason Israel wants to root out terror in Gaza is to prevent future innocent people from being killed. Yes. And so you can't drag, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, into a subject like this. I mean, I I know Chuck Baldwin understands this because he's always going against the left that does these kinds of things regarding American uh, defense buildup and those kind of things. But for some reason, um, he has blinders on (laughs) when it comes to uh, the nation of Israel. Um, what
1: does he say here about being bewitched? And it's right down here. <coughs> Excuse me. These pro-Israel Christians are bewitched. See Galatians 3.1. They are bewitched by Zionism. They are bewitched by the Zionist notes contained in the Schofield Bible. They are bewitched by the false prophecy doctrines of dispensational futurism. There we go. You want me to keep
0: going? No, I think that's enough. i got to deal with this in pieces because <laughs> it's it's like eating a big steak. You it know? is. It's, it's hard to, to digest some of these things that this pastor is supposedly saying. So he wants to throw in Galatians 3 verse 1 as being under the spell of Christian Zionism because he's trying to flip everything into Christian Palestinianism. Yeah. Well, Galatians 3 verse 1 has nothing to do with that. It doesn't. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 is talking about the... Folks in southern Galatia that Paul evangelized on his first missionary journey that were being hoodwinked by legalism. Exactly. And he writes to them about a year later uh, from Syrian Antioch in A.D. 49, it's the very first epistle Paul wrote. It's his Magna Carta against legalism because Pharisees were coming in and they were trying to get Paul's flock away from grace and back under the law. That's what they were bewitched about, not uh, somehow being bewitched by a Christian Zionist teaching. So he's so, you know, anybody can quote the Bible if they don't want to use it in context. I mean, Satan himself quotes the Bible when he's dealing with Jesus Mm-hmm. There in the temptations in Luke 4 and Matthew chapter 4. Um, he goes on here and uh, he starts to rant and rave about the Schofield Bible. Yes. They are bewitched by Zionists, notes contained in the Schofield Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I like the Schofield Bible. There's a lot of good things in the Schofield Bible, but just kind of a news flash to Chuck Baldwin. Not all of us dispensationalists agree with every little thing in the Schofield Bible. Did you know, Brother Jim, that the Schofield Bible, uh, I think created in 1909, is an advocate of the gap theory? It is. That puts uh, this vast age of time between verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis and it makes this comment in there about, oh, that's how we can handle the fossil record. Right. We can just jam it into the gap and we can put Satan's fall yeah. in between those verses. That's how that generation tried to deal with or, you know, tried to handle um you know, the age of the earth yeah. versus what the Bible was saying. So I think it compromised there. Absolutely. So yeah, there's some good things in the Schofield Reference Bible, but we're not all marching you know, no. blindly no. to the uh, drumbeat of the uh, Schofield Reference Bible. He goes on and he makes some statements about Israel being an atheistic and antichrist state. Can you pick it up right there?
1: Never mind that the Zionist state of Israel is an Uh, atheistic antichrist state that is the archenemy of genuine Christianity, freedom, basic human morality, and all things goyim. How can you support Israel when there's a bunch of unbelievers over
0: there? Newsflash, guess what you have to be before you can be a believer, Brother Jim?
1: Well, I certainly was a believer before I became a believer. You have to
0: be an unbeliever. Yeah, right. um, was not God at work in all of our lives before we were saved? Yes, Through the I convicting am. ministry of the Spirit. Why couldn't he be doing the same thing related to the nation of Israel? In fact, that's what the prophet Ezekiel said would happen in the last days. That's Help right. us with Ezekiel 36.
1: Verses twenty-four through twenty-eight. All right, Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-four through twenty-eight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God.
0: Do you see two two, uh, uh, things happening here? Yes, I do. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Check, that's happening. Mm -hmm. Then. Then, that's an important word. (laughs) Here comes part two. I will sprinkle you with clean water on you and you will be clean. And it talks about how he's going to put his spirit within them. First, they come back in unbelief.
1: Absolutely
0: you know, as Chuck Baldwin phrases it, that's when they're an antichrist, atheistic yeah. nation, then God is going to bring them to faith. So yes. we're li- we're living we're probably in between the end of verse 24 but before the beginning of verse 25. So yeah. why can't we look at Israel with eyes of faith, mm-hmm. looking at what God is going to do with them? Yeah. Now, Ezekiel 37 uh, says virtually the same thing.
1: Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 7 through 11. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of man, and say to the breath, "...thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life." So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel." Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. So it's very clear these
0: bones represent Israel, that verse 11. And this is illustrating what we just saw in chapter 36 mm-hmm. concerning being brought back into their land first, regenerated second. And just to get the point across, Ezekiel sees these bones coming together to form a body. Mm-hmm. Then he is told to prophesy a second time related to the fact that there's no breath in the body. Mm -hmm. The breath, Ruah, is the spirit. So first the body comes together before the Holy Spirit comes upon the nation. And so what are we living in between? We're living in between the body coming together, but we haven't seen the breath yet. Exactly. So that's how you are to look at the nation of Israel through these eyes. We don't, see them as they currently are and dismiss them because they're a you know an antichrist you know atheistic state we see them through the eyes of God where we know he's got a future work in store for them
1: well you know God's word says that while I was yet a sinner and an enemy of God Christ died for me amen you know I was an enemy I was an antichrist yeah.
0: speaking of that enemies do you have Romans 11 verse 28 there
1: I do Romans 11:28 from the standpoint of the gospel they are enemies for your sake but from the standpoint of God's choice they are beloved for the sake of the fathers
0: So yeah there could be problem people today in fact they were troublemakers in the book of Acts sure but Paul says concerning the Jewish people from the standpoint of God's choice the Abrahamic covenant mm-hmm. they are beloved yes for the sake of the fathers that's yes. how you look at Israel you don't look at them as a uh, antagonistic atheistic antichrist state you say you know they're beloved on behalf of the fathers and God's not through with them amen um amen. this chart here from Dr. Randall Price is helpful because it shows you these two regatherings Once in unbelief and again in faith. In the present first regathering, Israel comes back to part of the land. That's what we're seeing now. In the second permanent regathering, she will return to all the land. Today she returns in unbelief, but ultimately at the end of the seven-year tribulation, she will return in faith. Today she's restored to the land only. But ultimately, in the second regathering, she will be restored to the land and the Lord. What's happening now is setting the stage for the tribulation. It's setting the stage for discipline. But what is yet to come is setting the stage for millennial, millennial blessings. Yes. Um, continuing on with uh, Baldwin's diatribe, can you pick it up right here?
1: Israel is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, so they believe. In fact, most evangelicals are deeply entrenched in Israel-based prophecy, not Jesus-based prophecy. They have no concept of Jesus' second coming without Israel. To them, the um, omnipotent resurrected Christ is totally dependent upon Netanyahu's Zionist state, to usher him back.
0: So we have no concept of Jesus' second coming without Israel. Well, well Chuck, um, can I help you with that? It's something that Jesus himself said at the end of Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 37 through 39. What does he say there?
1: Matthew 23, 37 through 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Stop. Read those first two words again. Mm-hmm. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Who's he talking to? I think Jerusalem. <laughs> okay. All right, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he, Who comes in the name of the Lord.
0: So when Chuck Baldwin condemns us by saying we have no concept of Jesus' second coming without Israel, we're actually getting that from the Bible. Jesus (laughs) conditioned his, not the rapture, but his second advent on Israel responding to him favorably. Exactly. So don't blame us, Pastor Chuck, for. The fact that we have reading comprehension ability and we can read, you know, what the Bible actually says. Um, He goes on and he, I couldn't believe he did this. He brings up the new covenant. And can you pick it up there? All
1: right. It just gets better, folks. They are ignorant of the new covenant that was so plainly and passionately taught in the books of Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, and yes, Revelation. The book of Revelation is not primarily a book about prophecy. It is the final divinely inspired book explaining Christ's new covenant. Evangelicals are still living in the old covenant. They think Alia Capitolina, oh, excuse me, Jerusalem, is still the city of David.
0: Now, I was just kind of mystified that he brought up the new covenant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because what does God himself say about the new covenant in Jeremiah
1: 31, verses 31 through 34? All right, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. With who? Israel and Judah. Okay. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So, if you want to have a conversation about
0: the new covenant, I guess we could do that, but let's. Let's start where the new covenant is first introduced. Amen. It's a covenant that God made specifically with the Jewish people. Interesting how Chuck Baldwin doesn't bring that up at all. And in he his refuses article. to
1: use the name Jerusalem, too.
0: Exactly. Now, more on that in just a second. Now, we all understand that we, as members of the church, share... In in these soteriological benefits of the New Covenant, yes. we, we get that. But as Arnold Fruchtenbaum says, just because we are partakers of the New Covenant mm-hmm. doesn't mean we are taker-overs of right. the New Covenant. Right. What does uh, Romans uh, 15 on page 12 there, verses 26 and 27 say?
1: All right, Romans 15, 26, and 27 for macedonia and achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor saints in jerusalem yes they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them for if the gentiles have shared in their spiritual things They are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So believe it or not, Chuck, we've read the book of Galatians. We've
0: we've read the book of Romans. We've read the book of Hebrews. um, And we understand that we are partakers of spiritual things in the new covenant. But none of those books teach what you want people to believe they teach. None of them teach that we've taken over and pushed Israel out of her uh, new Covenant. Right. By the way, since he likes the New Covenant so much, I wish he would keep reading mm. because verse 34 is followed by verse 35 indeed, through verse 37. So, yes. And
1: what, what does that say? Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-five through 37, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night who sits up the, who sets excuse me who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar the lord of hosts is his name if this fixed order departs from from before me declares the lord then the offspring of israel will also or also will cease from being a nation before me forever Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord.
0: So when you finish the new covenant and you keep reading, you learn that if you want to get rid of Israel, it's pretty easy. Just get rid of the sun and the moon and the stars. Yes. Because as long as those luminaries exist, Israel will always be a nation before me. And so, you know, it's just very interesting to me how he wants to talk about the new covenant, but he doesn't want to talk about any of these aspects of it. Selective reading. Yeah. And it's this Christian Palestinian narrative that you're taking New Testament concepts and using them to write the old test, rewrite the old Testament. Whereas we are interpreting the New Testament in light of God's revelation already given in the Old Testament, because God is not going to, you know, reverse himself and lie and say, oh, oh yeah, uh, you know, just yes. fooling. Hmm, that sounds biblical. What else does he say here when he says, this is stunning, the book of Revelation is not primarily a book about prophecy? Hmm. Mm-hmm. What does Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 say? And that's right here on the Uh, slide. I'm
1: sorry. Revelation 1, verse 3. Yes, and the very first chapter. Isn't this interesting? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So I can either believe Chuck
0: Baldwin, (laughs) who says the book of Revelation is not primarily a book about prophecy, or I can believe John, who wrote the book of Revelation, that tells us that this is a book of prophecy, and if you read it and heed it, you'll be blessed. Mm -hmm. In fact, this word prophecy, or its cognates, is used 18 times in the book of Revelation. So when he comes out here and says the book of Revelation is not a book about prophecy, um, obviously, I don't know what to say. Um, This guy apparently went to Bible college and seminary, but... Maybe it's, I don't know what the problem is, but he's not paying attention to what the internal evidence uh, supports. I'll trust John. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And notice that he doesn't even want to call the current city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He uses this expression. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Alie Capitolina. Yeah. Now that's a expression given in the post-Hadrian era. Right. In the second century, when they were trying to pretend like the Jews were never there. And so that's what he prefers to call it, other than what it has been historically called, you know, uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem. Um, The truth of the matter is, one of these days, Jesus is going to rule and reign. Not from Aelia Capitolina, but from Jerusalem. Amen.
1: Uh, Notice Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. Let's see here. Now it will come about... That in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion oh, from where from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war
0: And so, very clearly, Jerusalem has a dominant role to play in the future. What does Zechariah 14, verses
1: 16 through 18 say? Zechariah 14, 16 through 18. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. The
0: headquarters of the Millennial Kingdom. Yes. Now notice in none of these passages is the headquarters referred to as Elia Capitolina. Nope. It's referred to as Jerusalem. What does uh, Revelation chapter
1: twenty? And verse nine say Revelation chapter twenty and verse nine, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. when Satan is
0: released at the end of the thousand year kingdom, um, he immediately attacks the beloved city. Mm-hmm. What would that beloved city be, Brother Jim? Notice
1: this quote here from Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas quoting, At the end of the millennium, that city will be Satan's prime objective with his rebel army because Israel will be a leader among the nations. So keep all of these millennial passages in mind, folks,
0: when you read these statements from... uh, Chuck Baldwin, mm, yes. flippantly referring to the city of Jerusalem as alia uh, Capitolina, acting like God has no future purpose for the city of Jerusalem. Right. Um, getting close here to wrapping up, folks, we're going a little long again, like last week, just because of the severity of the narrative war that's going on. We have also, in addition to Chuck Baldwin, we have Rick Wiles, mm. And notice what Rick Wiles recently said on Instagram. Could you read what he said? Just that bold
1: area there. All right. He says, if you are a Zionist, you are not a Christian. Wow.
0: So we're not even Christians because we support the nation of Israel. Yikes. Um, And I became aware of Rick Wiles of True News, which has got to be the most misnamed uh, news outlet in the country. And Chuck Baldwin, because the two of them, did a podcast post-October 7th, Uh criticizing Israel and criticizing what they call Christian Zionism. And they're laying the fabric for Christian Palestinianism, as we've been trying to say, which is designed to flip our theology, flip our eschatology, and flip the narrative. One other voice I want to make you aware of is this man here, Stu Peters, Who is another puzzle to me. Um, He is very good on a lot of conservative political issues. He was on Lindell TV uh, for a while. Uh, They parted ways. I can't remember exactly what the issue was. Um, But he's sort of been on the cutting edge of a lot of things that have happened to our country post-2020. And so he's pretty good on a lot of different issues. From my understanding, he's supposedly a Christian. He supposedly attends um, a Calvary chapel, but look at some of his tweets. Look at how he is pushing this narrative of Christian Palestinianism. What does he say here?
1: He says, unfortunately, this is an extremely hard concept for Western Christians to grasp. And I guess you want me to read this down here?
0: Yeah, he's quoting someone named Morgan Ariel. And Morgan Ariel is asking this question, is Israel in the Bible the same as Israel today?
1: Question. Mark. And then it goes on and says The country of Israel today was created by the United Nations in 1947 from Palestine. Thus, the country of Israel today is not to be confused with and has no connection to the word Israel of the Bible. See the commonality of themes here? God gracious.
0: This is exactly what AOC said it, in the it, article it that is. we had very early on, how yes. they see Christian Zionists as the problem and they're trying to change the way we think. And mm-hmm. they're saying, well, the Israel of today is not the Israel of the Bible. Because after all, it was created by the United Nations in 1947 from Palestine. Well, newsflash, um, Israel is the people, (laughs) right? Going all the way back to the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whether they're in the land or outside the land, And and there have been many occasions where they've been in and out, they're still always called Israel. Right. So they were displaced from their land in A.D. 70, pushed into worldwide dispersion. They never lost their title Israel. Right. And it's only in modern times or recent times that they've been recycled into their ancient homeland. But it's the exact same Israel that you read about That's in the Bible. Right. That's and they're right. trying to drive this wedge between the regathering of the Jews in Israel and what you read in the Bible. And there is no such wedge. Right. It's just designed to flip... A narrative, yes uh, Stu Peters goes on and he actually says something worse. if yes. you can
1: believe it here's mm. another one of his recent tweets, mm. and here's what he says. This is in reference to the star of David. He says, This is not the star of David. In his final sermon before he was martyred, Stephen recited the history of rebellious Israel. Referring to the idolatry of the ancient Israelites, Stephen mentioned the god Molech and the star of your god uh, Remphan. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Repham figures which you which he made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon, Acts 7.43.
0: So what they're trying to say is Israel's current star of David comes from pagan sources. That's
1: exactly what he's saying.
0: Uh, it comes from what they adopted from Molech according to Stephen's speech in Acts 7.43. They use another verse in the book of Amos, I think it's chapter 5, mm-hmm right in there that they adopted the star of david from some kind of pagan source and so when you look at the star of david today you should see satanism mm-hmm. you should see paganism some have argued it comes from an occultic source yeah it comes from a satanic source And let's get to the truth of the matter here as our last point. Where does the star of David actually come from? When Israel flies her flag and you see the star of David, is it coming from Amos or is it coming from Acts 7? No, guys, (laughs) Stu, keep backing up in the Bible to earlier references to get to the truth. Here is the truth. If you look at this map here, the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai to receive the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. And as they uh, received the law of Moses and eventually the second generation traveled into the Transjordan and they were sort of perched to enter the uh, land of Canaan. As recorded in the book of Joshua, just prior to that, as recorded in the book of Numbers as they were making their way through the Transjordan, Balak, mm-hmm. the king of Moab, hired a prophet for prophet, as I call him, Balaam, <laughs> you know, to curse the Jewish nation. He did. And the problem is every time he uttered a curse against the Jewish nation, out of his mouth came a blessing. And yes. Those blessings are found in Balaam's seven oracles found in Numbers uh, 23 and 24. And every time it says he took up his oracle and said, there's a new oracle. And you'll notice here the first four oracles. It's the fourth oracle that I'm referring to. Just to kind of round out our list here there were three other oracles after that. But what does Balaam say in oracle number four, which starts to sound very, very messianic?
1: What does Numbers 24 and verse 17 say? Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall rise forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Seth.
0: The star of David is not satanic. It is not occultic. It does not come from the pentagram. It does not come from satanic sources. You go to the earliest reference in the Bible. It comes from Balaam trying to curse Israel, but out of his mouth came a blessing through seven oracles. And in oracle number four, he says, from Jacob, Israel. Mm-hmm. Is going to come forth this Messiah, mm-hmm. who is analogized to a star. Right. You know, uh, it talks there about how a scepter shall arise. Um, a star shall come forth from Jacob. That's where the star of David comes from. Yes, and Satan
1: is the one that stole it.
0: (laughs) That's right. Just like the rainbow. Yeah, Uh, exactly. It's like like looking at a rainbow saying, uh, that's the homosexuals came up with that. The LGBTQI group came up with that. We'll just go earlier in your Bible uh, and you'll see that it's something God set up and what Satan has done is a perversion of it. This is what the Stu Peters, the Rick Wiles, the chuck baldwins of the world are not communicating to their audiences in fact advancing the slides just one more time this is the star matthew chapter 2 verse 2 that the wise men were following you know balaam it's kind of interesting lived in mesopotamia the area where these babylonian wise men came from and that's why they were following a star an an atypical star because they associated it with the coming of Yeshua or Jesus who would be born into the land of Israel. And that's why they made the journey. Mm -hmm. That's right. So this star is Messianic and this star is Hebraic and this star is of God and Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with some sort of occultic symbol. So I don't know about you, Brother Jim, but I am just sick and tired of these uh, Christian Palestinianists, these... (sighs) anti-Zionists warping the scripture the way they do yes. to make it sound like the Bible is in favor of their narrative when it is not. Am I overstating my case? No,
1: I think you need to go further. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, Brother Jim, close us out here. We've done a <laughs> uh, atypically long program, but
1: important information. Close us out here with some hope. All right. We always love to close with this passage, Titus 2.13, because it gets our perspective back where it needs to be. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus.
0: And so our hope is in the soon return of Jesus to rescue us out of the world. Yes. Before the wrath of God hits, people can enter into that relationship with Jesus. You know, the Bible says, I'll bless those who bless you. Yes. If you want to be blessed by God, you got to bless one of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. A man, the God-man, Jesus Or Yeshua, yes, you've got to bless Him by believing in Him. That's it, and He in turn will bless you by giving you eternal life. Amen. So the whole Bible is uh, Hebraic and Jewish, isn't it? Remind you to get a hold of our app where we upload all of our content regularly. Also, follow us in podcast format go to wherever it is you get your podcast and put Andy Woods Ministries into the search engine and our content will show up. Also we want you to have access to these show notes that we read from so go to org and sign up. There's a conspicuous way to do it on the home page. Our show notes uh, every so when we post any PPOV episode it will show up in your inbox these show notes. I also want to remind you of our Sugarland Bible Church Prophecy Conference from Flood to Final Days. Amen. Featuring Olivier Melnak, Russ Miller, Dr. Reagan, David Reagan, and myself, February 23rd and 24th, go to the SLBC homepage to sign up for that conference. And don't forget Chafer Theological Seminary. If you're interested in seminary training, go to ww chafer.edu yes. anything you want to add brother Jim as we sign off
1: well as always I want to thank you for tuning in thank you for your prayers thank you for telling people about our pro- our program and we're praying for you we hope you'll pray for us
0: yeah and a lot of content today but we felt this this issue was uh, deserving of some in-depth coverage because a yes. lot of people are being deceived by anti-semitism externally and anti-semitism yes. internally yes. And we'll see you next time. God bless you.
1: God bless.